Hey, it's Marvin. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba and our discussion of our July 2021 book club pick, An Ocean of Minutes by TLM. This is just a quick content warning that there is a brief discussion of a sexual assault scene from the book. So if that kind of discussion makes you uncomfortable, um, please check out the time code listed in the show notes and just skip ahead about a minute and a half and you should be in the clear. All right, now to the show. You're listening to... And you're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And it is time time huh eh? get it uh. to talk about our july 2021 book club pick in ocean of minutes by tia lim so marvin how did you like this book since it's a change of pace from our last month's pick happy endings which was <laughs> a very raunchy romance novel i did enjoy it um thank you for picking a sci-fi story to um to dig our teeth into it turned out to be a story that i wasn't expecting it to become and i was actually really surprised but you know i'm glad to have read it and excited to be discussing it with you yeah it really did subvert a lot of my expectations for like time travel stories i've consumed a lot of time travel stories and movies in in my life <laughs> so um it, it was definitely different from what i'm used to yeah all right, so let's just get straight into it, um, because it is hot, and to record this podcast, we both have to turn off our AC, so uh, before we roast alive in the Southern California heat wave, uh, let's, let's talk about an ocean of minutes. Um, this is your standard spoiler warning. Our discussion will encompass all things in ocean of minutes, including uh, plot spoilers and themes, so if you haven't read the book yet and don't want to be spoiled... You know, go read the book now and come back and listen to us after you've finished. And if you don't care or if um, being spoiled is a bonus or a feature of this podcast for you, then please just keep listening. I, I do have to say that this is one of those books where you should probably read it before listening to this episode. <laughs> like, I, I feel like your experience would be a little bit ruined if you knew the ending and a lot of the plot twists. So. Mm. You know, that's my advice. Rira's recommendations. All right. So let's get started. Rira, can you um, read us into Inotional Minutes? In this novel, America is in the grip of a deadly flu pandemic. When Frank catches the virus, his girlfriend Polly will do whatever it takes to save him, even if it means risking everything. When she finds out there's a company that has invented time travel, she agrees to a radical contract. If she signs up for a one-way trip into the future to work as a bonded laborer, the company will pay for the life-saving treatment Frank needs. Polly promises to meet Frank again in Galveston, Texas, where she will arrive in 12 years. But when Polly is rerouted an extra five years into the future, Frank is nowhere to be found. Alone in a transformed and divided America with no status and no money, Polly must navigate a new life and find a way to locate Frank, determine if he is alive, and if their love has endured. So I was pretty surprised that for a time travel novel, it was set in the past. Because yeah. usually when you travel into the future, it's like a time period that we haven't uh, experienced in, in like real life. But 
the future in this book is 2002. Yeah, it was actually, it took me a while to wrap my head around the fact that this takes place in an alternate timeline. It's an, it's an AU um, of our timeline where a mutated flu pandemic sweeps the nation slash the world. And, um, you know, nothing like current times, nothing, nothing like what's happening right now. The United yeah, States. Yeah, that, that was a thing. I was like, this book came out in 2018. And, you know, when people were reading it, it was like, oh, this is what life would be like if a pandemic hit you know it's like an alternate yeah. but but now that we are living through a pandemic and we have been living through one for the past like year and like whatever months uh, <laughs> almost two years at this point we're just like yeah like a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels i mean this is what we've been seeing a long time from science fiction authors is this ability to semi-predict how Specifically, the United States government will react to a pandemic, which is insist nothing is wrong and until it's too late. Yeah, because um, forgive me if I'm incorrect. The last like dystopia, apocalyptic novel that we read was Severance by Ling Ma. And that book was also about um, capitalism and how <laughs> like America would be really bad at dealing with the pandemic. But at the same time, capitalism will endure in some way. <laughs> yeah, it was a really interesting, um, I guess, literary move for Tia to do that. It's, but I guess it also gives her the chance to like, because we've always talked about this in terms of like contemporary fiction, which is like having access to the internet and cell phones changes the game. And like setting it in the 80s and 90s, which is a time before widespread use of the internet, it creates a setting where communication is way harder than than it would have been right oh yeah yeah definitely i, I think that was like one of the reasons why uh, tia uh set this book like at the turn of like the 20th <laughs> century i think like because in the back of um the paperback there's a q a with her and and she said that like that was one of the main reasons why um yeah. you can't yeah like if you think about it if someone from the 80s time travel to, I guess, like the 2020s, 2010s, they would just be so confused with our lives, with smartphones and like, we, like it, Wi-Fi. It would be like we were all living like kings and queens, right? Because I remember in like the late 90s, I had a prized 386 computer where I was able to play games like X-Wing or whatever. But like... That computer probably costs twice as much as your standard smartphone and is probably like the tenth of the power. I mean, that's just how much technology has grown in the, over the last like 10 years even. Yeah, I mean, like in terms of communication, um, I'm just thinking about long distance relationships during like our parents <laughs> era. And I'm yep. like, yo, they had to like do it the old fashioned way the with phone letters cards. and the phone card. Yeah. The phone card. Oh my god, I used the phone card when I had to like call my grandparents. Yeah. And yeah, you could only call like maybe like once a month <laughs> because of the rates. But now we have like WhatsApp and Zoom and it's just so much easier to contact everyone. And yeah, like it would be a totally different book and the struggles would just not exist if this was taking place in like the mid 2000s, 2010s. So one thing that was really, I guess, curious to me was the fact that time travel was invented, but they couldn't go back 
in time to reach patient zero because there was like a limit on like how far they can go back. Yeah. How much did you think that was real and how much do you think that was bullshit? See, like the entire time I thought it was bullshit. <laughs> like I thought that the company that like made the time travel thing uh, exist, maybe they couldn't go back to patient zero, but they probably could have impacted like how the pandemic would spread. But they chose not to in order to capitalize on it. Because we've seen this in real life where real corporations will exacerbate like, um, like, I don't know, like climate change and environmentalism to benefit their own pockets. So- I mean, I guess um, the examples that come to mind is Enron in, I think, that was 2001, 2002, where they um, purposely jacked up the price of like energy during like the big wildfires that were happening in, in California. Um, and then I'm thinking like, you know, pharmaceutical companies who have been accused of withholding like more advanced medications because the less effective ones haven't played out its lifespan of profit yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I was like, uh, it kind of sounds like bullshit, but you know, <laughs> you're they, just they too can't cynical. You're like, you don't believe anything, anything, cor- any corporate. That is, says, that is right? true. When I was reading this book, I realized the extent of my cynicism. <laughs> I was like, this book is supposed to, be- I mean, a lot of sad depressing things happen to Polly and of course like a lot of real life parallels are in this book but the entire time I was like I don't know if this would happen or I would say that's not like why would you be so naive as to like do this when the benefit isn't I don't know worth it I mean it could be that um time travel paradox was it the um the grandfather paradox where in order for time travel to be invented, the pandemic had to have happened, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's true because time travel was invented in 1993 and they were able to go back as far as what, like 1981, which is like the time period that uh, Polly and Frank are from. Because mm-hmm. like th- when they're dating, it's still like the late 70s. So yeah. we go from like 1978, 79 to like... 1998 yeah 1998 where were you in 1998 uh in 1998 oh god it was was i still in new jersey (laughs) i think i may have still been in new jersey and in middle school i was a freshman in high school i had just entered high school wait never mind i would i would have been eight years old so i was definitely (laughs) not in middle school I I have no recollection of like my middle school years, my elementary school years, except for the really, really traumatic stuff. Oh, but, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like. So you're not one of those people who looks back on the good old days of high school and middle school. Um, no, because once the internet happened, that was when I started to have friends and realized that I was actually I don't know, like worthwhile as a human being. Oh, no. so, yeah, I didn't, like mm. not exactly. Uh, remember back in the 90s? Like, yeah, like I'm not much of like a 90s aficionado when it comes to like, <laughs> like. So the current trend of like 90s nostalgia is doing nothing for you. No, it absolutely not. The only <laughs> nostalgia I have for the 90s is probably like anime related Mm. but that's pretty much it like anime and pokemon and Mm -hmm. that is that's true much it (laughs) 
But nostalgia is a big theme in this book, um, especially since it's set in like the 80s and the 90s. I feel like those time periods are known for its nostalgia the most. I mean, turn on the radio and it's mostly like 80s rock band and 90s <laughs> hip hop. <laughs> I mean, that's considered classic music now, right? For better or worse. I think I think we've passed 80s nostalgia and we moved into 90s nostalgia and even early 2000s nostalgia. I've been seeing some trends from when I was in high school coming back and I don't know whether to be happy or sad about it. Emo music, quote unquote, emo pops coming back. Like I've been seeing people like youth around me dressed like we did with like the baggy pants with like you know what else coming back bucket hats i've been seeing a lot more bucket hats. i love bucket hats okay like (laughs) i i used to wear them all the time and i even wore them like in college love it i mean that's never gonna go out of fashion i'm sorry (laughs) i mean the late 90s was also like the um i guess it was the second wave of k-pop which is like the the ses days hot days like that's the first wave that's the first wave yeah that's the first wave because k-pop became popularized with hot and they came out in like 1995 okay yes i know my fucking (laughs) k-pop history I assume there the was a generation w- before them, but I guess the not. The second wave is around 2003. So that's with like TVXQ. And, oh, that's like um, all the big girl like, groups and stuff, right? Like the giant yeah, the giant groups. Like, uh, what, what year did Girls' Generation come out? I, I know that like K-pop like kind of blew up internationally, like outside of LA mm. <laughs> um, in like 2009 but so the that's generation when, like youtube became like a big thing but the generation with like the bucket hats and like the oversized jerseys that was first the first yeah that was that went, was right? first gen okay. that was because like you have to think <laughs> about like hip-hop because hip-hop was all about like the bucket hat and like right. the clothes and like the shoes i mean shoes are still like a big deal in hip-hop anyway we're probably gonna cut this part out no it's keep we're saying it in we're this, this this has been your k-pop education minute you know what else is coming back vans and skater wear they've never gone away really yeah i don't think they've ever gone away maybe they're becoming more popular now but i feel like it's always been a part of like i don't know like street wear and that's yeah i don't know <laughs> Trends, trends come and go, and kids, you'll realize that um, you should keep all of your clothes because trends come back, and you don't want to spend extra money on. I know on my stuff that they're gonna over. My partner came to my place and did a cleansing of all the stuff that doesn't bring her joy, and so all the clothes that have come back around, I don't no longer have. Like I don't have any of my baggy clothes. I don't have my baggy jeans. My visors, my bucket hats, all the stuff that she does not want me to wear anymore is gone. There are clothes that I've definitely taken from like my mom's closet. And, you know, my mom got it from like my grandmother because she like made those clothes. (laughs) So it's yeah, like things, things, things come back. Um, But anyway, (laughs) anyways, sorry. Um, So what did you think about? the bureaucracy of getting of of time traveling because you see this in immigration and like yeah. refugee uh i actually want to talk about that um i was really surprised that this time travel story wasn't actually really about time travel i mean time travel is the setting and it's like the the um the mechanism by which this story functions 
But the story is really about like a refugee immigrant experience, right? Like Polly is essentially a time migrant worker, right? Like she travels through time specifically to work in order to pay off that the cost of like a loan that she takes out to A, save Frank's life and B, pay for the time travel. And she has to pay for like her lodging and pay for her meals and her like expenses, which is something that like, like it's basically indentured servitude and something, and it's something that like a lot of like, I don't know if it happens in the States as much. It probably does, but definitely in like Asia in like factory towns where like you have people coming from the countryside to work at a factory who live in company dorms and like live in company towns. Like, it's something that happens to them too. Like they have a company credit, they get kind of sucked in and they kind of have to live there to pay off their debts. Right. In order to, and the thing is they keep adding expenses. So you don't actually get the chance to leave when you (laughs) want to. Yeah. Which is like the oldest, like it's been, it's basically how these, like these types of companies have functioned since the industrial revolution. Right. Um, And so reading the book reminded me of, there's a song by um, Chinese American artist Vienna Tang called No Gringo. Um, oh, I think it was yeah, part of yeah. her third album, which is about like a hypothetical future where the border with Mexico has inversed. And basically, people from America would sneak into Mexico for jobs and economic stability. And it's kind of, it reminded me of that where it's like time travel becomes a new border and the delineation is no longer, well, it's still white and brown, white and black, but also like past and future, right? Like people who don't belong here, people who come here just to work and how they're treated as second-class citizens. And it was interesting how like Polly, who is like a white passing Middle Eastern woman, right? Like Lebanese. Yeah, she's she's mixed race. So she's um, part Lebanese and and part white. Which Lebanese still counts as Caucasian, right? Like Yeah, like actually Caucasian. Because you know how people say like, oh, I'm Caucasian, but it's like the the origin of Caucasian is you live in the Caucasus area in, yeah. in like, like between Asia and Europe. And it's mm. just, yeah. Anyway, that's a different yeah. thing. But, but it's used as code as white. And like Polly also uses it as like, I guess it means I'm white, like Caucasian, right? She says Caucasian instead of white because. I mean, isn't that what's like on government forms though? I think like, so. Caucasian. I don't know. I just feel Asian. White. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't here. look at any of the boxes. <laughs> Um, but I thought it was interesting because when she when she goes in and they're like, okay, your race is uh, what? And, they're, and she says Caucasian and the interviewer kind of gives her a strange look and says, Caucasian and what? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, man, like that is incredibly, incredibly rude. But it's, I mean, I don't know how many times you've gone through international um, customs they're all rude. They're all like that. I got harassed by a border agent once for being Canadian and having a green card. And he was saying, Wait, are you kidding me? Yeah. He was like, like, you know, we can take this away at any time, right? No, you can't. <laughs> um, no, I've never had that experience uh, before. Just me. Then. But it's interesting because um, she, she gets an O one visa which is like the special specialized skill visa and then everyone else has like the n1 visa which is you know just like the regular visa and you have like a longer period of time that you have to work as an indentured servant and um we notice that like the o1 visa holders are pretty much all white like they're all white ladies 
Yeah. And okay, so it was endlessly amusing, or not maybe not amusing, maybe a little depressing that you have this great technology for time travel. And there's so many applications you can use it for. But what do the corporations of the future use it for? To bring in cheap labor for their resorts. Yeah, when when uh, Polly said that she was an upholsterer who repairs old furniture, I was like, "What are you gonna do with that skill in in the future?" You know, like <laughs> I thought they would hire like more doctors or or you people would who work think in... so, right? Because yeah. like, the entire idea of this time travel like shifting is like, okay, in the future, population's been decimated. We don't have enough skilled workers. So we need to bring people from the past before they get killed by the virus to, you know, take up these posts. Or that's how I would think. But no, it's like, all right, there's not enough people to work at our resorts and to, like, make this into, like, a tourist destination. We need to bring in cheap labor from the past before they all die. Because, like we've seen in this pandemic, the people most hardly hit by pandemics are the poor, right? Yes, yeah. And let's bring them in so we can have more labor to serve our rich clients. Yeah, and if you think about, like, in the first chapter, uh, before Frank gets sick and they're seeing the advertisements for Time Razor, he says, they don't advertise this to the rich. <laughs> and it's totally true because the rich can afford the really expensive health insurance, health care to you know, recover from the flu, whereas everybody else, they they need to, like, be indentured servants right, to even have access to it. There is a cure by now. The cure came back from the future, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not sure if it was, like, like a full-on cure or if it was... Um, it was treatment, at least. It was... Yeah, it was treatment. It was, they they at, were able to save Frank, least. who was, like, you know, almost dead when, when Polly left. Yeah, and, like, six months later, he's fine. So yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Frank later because that's we gotta we gotta unpack that whole like the romance angle of this time travel romance, um, or romance with a question mark. But I thought it was really interesting on how like time travel there is so much bureaucracy, right? Like they don't tell the people who are applying to stuff like all of the small print uh, things that are like hidden in in like the terms and conditions. I mean and. When everybody gets to like the the I guess like terminals, like no one knows where they're going, no one knows what they're doing, and they're just giving out false information. And it's like, yeah, that is pretty much like that's like everything. Yeah, that's I mean that's pretty much like corporations one hundred and one, right? Like, do any of us read the end user license agreements anytime we sign up for anything online? Probably not. Do we read everything in our mortgage? Do we read everything in? Like the employment contracts that we sign, probably not, right? Um, and they're counting on that. And and that way they can say, well, you signed this, so we can do this. And it's- But do you have a choice, though? Because, like, Polly <laughs> goes to save Frank's life, and she's going to do it no matter what. It's just... I mean, isn't that just, like, institutions taking advantage of the poor and vulnerable? Like, oh, this course. is kind of like... it. it I mean, all time travel stories or all science fiction stories are allegories, right? They're meant to shine a light on our lives to make us think about how, you know, what think are what are the things we're doing now that will lead to this hypothetical future, and like nothing that Time Razor is doing is anything new, 
it's stuff that's been going on since the beginning of like essentially corporations, right? The beginning of, you know, you know, um, capitalism as like the main form of, of business and economy in, in the world. And yeah, Polly's story is kind of her dealing with that, like dealing with the ways that corporate entities and institutions take advantage of people who are desperate. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, because she is like O one visa and because she can pass as white and pass as like someone who is uh, of higher status, like she, I thought the code switching was really interesting, you know, like <laughs> she thinks at the very beginning that if she's polite, like and kind of like asserts herself that she'll get what she wants kind of like oh if i pretend to be a karen they'll give me like all of the answers that i'm that i'm looking for uh but then once she kind of you know falls from grace uh she has to like be you know she has to be silent keep her head down that is the only way to survive um this is like totally totally random but the whole like when she's when she's going through like the psychological exam or whatever t- in order to like pass the uh, O one visa, and like how they tell her that she's going to nineteen ninety three, but she's actually being rerouted to ninety eight because that's the time period that her employer needs her, and they never inform her yeah. because it was just like a like a, an administrative error, and it just reminded me of when I went to go get my citizenship test, <laughs> uh, like. You know, it's a really big building and the security guard was like, oh, go to like the fourth floor. So I went and I'm like waiting and waiting and they're still like not calling my my number. And I was like, well, it's like the government. Everything is slow. So I guess, you know, like if they're like an hour long wait, it's fine. So I wait like an hour and a half and I was just like, what the fuck is this? So I (laughs) go up to like I go up to like one of the uh the staff and i'm like hey i'm here for my citizenship test and the security guard told me to come up here and they're like oh no 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 you're in the wrong floor it's like the second floor and then i go to the second floor and like the the people there are like oh like you're you you missed your appointment so you have to like reschedule it and you know with citizenship tests like it's it's like months of of yeah. like rescheduling so i said fuck no i am staying here until you know like someone doesn't <laughs> show up or whatever and that's what happened but that's pretty uh, bold. Any- yeah that but anyway <laughs> like it was just like a lot of bullshit where it totally was not my fault but the government was saying no it's your responsibility to like know where's where, where you're supposed to go and it's your fault for like not paying attention. And it's like, but you gave me the wrong information. So like, yeah, like, what the hell? <laughs> and that's kind of how time racer is, right? Everyone has their own specific thing they're doing and they don't care about anyone else. So if if someone else messes up, it's at least it's not their fault. And that's kind of, you know, um, as someone who was like in a past career or life has worked not in government but with government. I want to see a lot of people working in government are like that, where it's just like, I just care about my little domain and anything outside of it is not my fucking problem. Right. And it's, I mean, it goes back to just the journeymen, right? The people who travel to the future to work 
aren't seen as people. They're seen as like company property and resources who have no rights, right? Everything they do is a cost to the company. And so that cost is instead of being subsidized by the company to like give them a better experience, they're re-diverted back to their workers, like inundating them with even more debt. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they can unionize, but they should really probably start a union at some point right like what i found really interesting was like polly gets to the future and um everyone kind of expects her to know like the history of what happened after the pandemic and uh like she finds out that america and the united states had like yeah two separate america has broken up with the united states (laughs) which okay it's it's a little cheesy, but also really hilarious that that's how they decided to split the country, which is this side is America and this side is are the United States. I mean, if you think about it with like the Civil War, like, wasn't that what they were aiming for? The South wanting? I mean, even then, though, at least they have different names. It wasn't just the United States literally cut in half. Right? Yeah, yeah. It was very interesting and funny to me because uh, they just expected her to know that it was like two separate countries and that she wasn't a citizen because she wasn't here when America was founded. And therefore, she's on a visa, even though she was sent by the company to work there. And, you know, she's kind of treated as as someone who who's pretty much stupid because you know, she doesn't know all the things that she should know. She's taking the wrong bus. And it turns out that, like, you know, the bus driver was was wrong, like, in, in terms of, like, picking <laughs> her up. And it was just like, oh, it's not my fault. Like, it's your fault for, like, getting on the wrong bus. And, yeah, it was just, like, a lot of um, of blaming. Yeah, I mean, the story at its core is about Polly's refugee experience right her it reminded me a lot of the map of salt and stars which we read a, about a year ago i want to say um which was about a syrian child's journey like as escaping her war-torn country like given this story isn't as bleak they're still escaping like certain doom um but it's about like basically her becoming a second-class citizen having to figure out how to survive and I think it was a really smart move for Tia Lim to cast her main character as like a white woman who has to like kind of become the second class citizen because of a status that like she had no choice but to accept. Right. Because I feel like um, for better or worse, having a white character makes it more like I, I, it feels icky to say this, but like probably more relatable to a lot of mainstream readers who can, uh-huh. you know, relate to her better, I guess. Um and that way, the message of like, you know, here is what an immigrant refugee goes through in order to even like, you know, find a new life in a place where like because of arbitrary decisions on like who isn't isn't a citizen and borders and things like that. Like she has to go through all this bullshit, right, where people don't even treat her as a human being. Yeah. And it also like reminds me of like a lot of immigrants in this country where in their former countries and in, in like the motherland, they had like really uh well-paying or respectful jobs and by circumstance they came to america and all of that status and prestige from their original country is just lost like no one gives a fuck yeah it's like it's like oh you were a doctor in your former country well you have to go through med school again in america (laughs) so you can like treat parent uh, treat patients in english or or whatnot and it's just 
Yeah, it just kind of reminded me of that because even though Polly is, you know, in a field where, you know, they specifically recruited her for this job to repair furniture, like she's still treated as like terrible. But at the same time, like she understands that it could be a lot worse because like when she looks outside the window, she sees like where all of the N1 um workers are are like you know they're showering outside there's no privacy they're living in contain in in shipment containers and she's like well at least i'm not them yeah and i mean they're they're doing the jobs that no one else wants to do which is like a little on the nose allegory for like migrant workers here right like they're they're the people doing the jobs that that quote-unquote regular americans don't want to do even though they're still mad at them for taking jobs and so, like, I want to talk about the question of, like, why people do this, right? Like, why go through all this? Like, because Polly's reason is not for herself. Like, a lot of people did this to survive, to get jobs. They traveled with their families. They, it was a way for them to live through the pandemic. But Polly did it to save Frank. I mean, you can argue whether or not it was a selfish reason. Um, it was definitely an impulsive reason. And it was for someone else, right? And Frank kind of, like, Reuniting with Frank, who at this point she still believes to be the love of her life, becomes her driving force for like the first eight tenths of the novel. Yeah, um, I had a lot of feelings about <laughs> Polly and Frank's relationship because, like, first off, like they're boyfriend and girlfriend. They're like as serious as they are. They're not married, and she's not like a family relative. So I just found that like I'm, I'm just like you're 23 and you're gonna go. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna sign into indentured servitude for a relationship that you know might not have been as stable as you thought (laughs) you thought it might be like um you see it with like the other uh indentured journeymen they're like oh it's nice that you know you did this for your boyfriend you did this out of love and you believe that you'll be reunited again but that's something that happens in fairy tales that's not something that like (laughs) actually happens and i i seem to kind of like line myself up with that opinion i was i was just like why why are you doing this but at the same time i'm like i haven't been in that position of of given the option to save a loved one and it's like yeah yeah and it kind of becomes her i mean it drives her throughout the story it also gets her in a shitload of trouble I mean, her trying she to find not Frank. Thinking for yeah, yeah. She was. She made some real bad decisions. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I, I, I can understand why she did it, even though I don't agree with what she did. Um, but that's us being having the benefit of knowledge of having read their relationship through like an omniscient third person narrative, um, because. I mean, even in the flashbacks, like where they were at the time when Frank contracted the illness was not a very like stable time in their relationship, right? It was kind of like they were kind of on shaking ground. They were maybe starting to reconcile and maybe that led to her decision. Like, okay, like we were just starting to like make up for this disastrous DC trip. Um, Like, I don't want to lose this now. And it ends up losing way more than she thought she would. Um, But, like, Frank during that DC trip was kind of a dick. Yeah, like, I mean, I think it's just, like, a difference of values because Polly the entire time, she's like, well, 
like we'll have like all of these holiday trips in the future like why do we have to like go do all of these touristy things in dc like why can't we just stay in the hotel and just be i don't know just like be lazy bums yeah a vacation should be a vacation right so yeah but they have different different definitions of how they want to spend their time and what's considered to be quote-unquote like romantic or couple activities and that was like the first sign to me where well not the first sign because like at the very beginning when i was reading this book i was like (laughs) yeah frank is not like like i don't know about this decision to go save someone who you know is your boyfriend and you're you're (laughs) i mean there are married couples out there who you're a practical person so you know obviously you would probably spend more time weighing the pros and cons of of doing this i mean okay this is really funny because i am a very cynical person when it comes to like romantic relationships but like i've been in a relationship that's been like it's been 10 years since (laughs) i've been with my partner um i've been with dan since i was 21 um and like you know like it was like what like six months into our relationship where i said hey i'm gonna move to the other side of the country after i graduate um so that's what i'm gonna do and i was totally expecting the whole like breakup thing because i was like because <laughs> like in my in my opinion like long distance is it's just not something that i was willing to put myself through but like literally as soon as i said i'm moving to la he was like okay like when do we want to move and i was like you're planning to come with me and it was like yeah like i i want to be with you so yeah like when do you want to do this and that's something that does not happen and so you're saying in your relationship your partner is the poly i mean i think we're both very uh considerate (laughs) with with uh with our values and just compromising and stuff but like it is it is very rare and you know for someone who is in that type of relationship i like i had my cynicism so i could not help but be cynical to um cynical about like polly and frank's relationship but she is like she is still young their relationship is like maybe at this point two years old right which is still relatively early i guess in the 80s it might have been a long time i don't know 80s values i don't align with because i don't know them um, especially 80s in like the upstate New York um, <laughs> um, culture. I mean, you mentioned the difference in the way that they perceive like, or they value like the present and the future. And those are things I think they might have been able to work out given more time together. But this thing happens, the pandemic, which rips them apart. It did pose the question of like, how much are you responsible for someone else's life? And like how much is how much self-sacrifice is too much sacrifice? Yeah. Is that right to like is that right to 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 do? Um, is it selfish in a way to sacrifice that much for someone you love without considering their wishes? Because Frank tells her not to go. <laughs> yeah. And like I kind of want to talk about like like I think we should talk about when she does eventually make it back to Buffalo, right? And this is after she like gets literally like con twice i want to say not con but like you know she gets set up by her boss to take a fall for his mistakes which is you know 
something bosses. Yeah, which yeah. is, you know, um, which is really messed up. I mean, do you have any thoughts on Baird and his like bullshit? Um, I think Baird was an interesting character because he represented what could have happened to Polly because mm-hmm. he had the option of being a journeyman, but he didn't decide to do that. So he watched his partner die. Um, whereas like with Polly, you know, she chose to to be this indentured servant and she's going through all this hardship, but there is a possibility that she can reunite with her love and be able to pick the pieces back up. So the reader is kind of questioning like who like who is suffering more <laughs> in this case? Like is it better to be with your loved one and kind of have spend the time that you have together or is it better to um you know make these sacrifices in hope for a future that is not guaranteed? I don't know. Like for personally, I would not do the whole journeyman thing. I would probably stay behind and be like uh Bard or whatever his character's name is. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I mean, this might just be the perspective like maybe because male and females are separated, but most of the characters we find in this like indentured servitude status are women and especially women of color, right? Like we have to think about it in in like terms of are women expected to sacrifice more than men um and i would have to say yes <laughs> like cuz like if you if you look at like the 1980s for example like sure there was a lot of pro- uh progress in like feminism like you're seeing like women get more jobs and of course like fight for um for like autonomy in terms of like uh, having rights to birth control and also like being able to divorce and still being able to retain some uh, kind of property or whatever. A lot of things were in the works and yet it was not common. It was still expected for women of that time to just give up everything for their family. And it makes sense to me that a lot of the people who did become journeymen were women and they did it to save their husbands and their sons and and whatnot yeah and some part of me i mean i'm sure a lot of readers felt this was like did frank take advantage of that kindness which he totally did right i mean we can skip ahead to well okay do we want to skip past the part where do you okay do you have any thoughts on when baird like stabbed Polly in the back uh, I kind of expected it like from <laughs> like the fact that he was drunk most of the time and didn't do any work. I was just like, yeah, it's going it, to, you know, it's going to bite her in the ass because he asked her to steal something for him. And like, I was just like, don't do it. Like, what? Like, what are you doing? Well, he like, used can you Frank tr- as like her weakness, right? He used Frank as to her get her we- to steal stuff. Yeah, yeah, but she should have thought it through. But at the same time, you're put in a very desperate situation that most people would not imagine themselves in. So it's hard to say like how you would react. But it was just, it was just like, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna backstab her. And of course, um, because she was an O one status, it made sense to me that like 
for the story to progress, she would have to be demoted mm. and kind of endure um, the hardship that a lot of women of color face in this book. So I like I kind of expected the trajectory of her path, uh, pretty predictable, but like not in like a bad way because it was believable. Yeah, and there's an interesting thing when she becomes a. And one worker where all of a sudden her whiteness is pretty much taken away from her. What was the thing that Cookie said to her? Like, oh, you were white until you were broke. Yeah. Something like that. Cookie was a great character. (laughs) I like Cookie a lot. Yeah, she reminded me a lot of like uh, older Asian aunties. Yeah, she was like all of my Vietnamese friends' mom. That's Cookie. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when people saw her afterwards, they all assume like they assume she was... Hispanic, Hispanic, right? They would talk to her in Spanish, even though she, you know, identified as Caucasian. Yeah, and also like because like Tia Lim is also mixed race, mm. so I, I would imagine that that was drawn from her own personal experiences of like never being white enough or Asian enough, yeah. uh, depending on like where she is. Because I'm sure that like in in Canada, which is where she uh, went to school. Actually, she went to school in Houston, and I think she lives in Toronto now. Okay. But I'm guessing that, like, she gets questions all the time being like, oh, like, what kind of Asian are you? Like, you don't, <laughs> like, you don't look white. You must be something else. Um, yeah. But then when she goes to Asia, when she goes to Singapore, which is where she grew up, I'm sure she probably gets the same question, but it's, like, in inverse. Yeah. So it really depends on, like, the environment that you're in. And when you're not like, and who and and who people believe belong yeah, there, yeah, and who people right? believe, yeah. Um, um, the whole thing with no Noberto, yeah, <laughs> and like there is a part where, um, so he he you know proposes a scheme to her, and uh, she's like, well, how do you know about this scheme? And he's like, oh, well, there's a fixer and he's going to get a percentage. Oh, I, was, I was yeah, just like, he was definitely getting scammed. Like, <laughs> I, was like, I was just like, what are you doing, man? Like, think like think things through. And you're supposed course, to be the smart, like street savvy one. And of course, you know, he gets swindled of all of his money. And uh, the whole whole deal with the fixer is they were going to provide him with like the pregnant urine sample because the whole point of the scheme is to say, hey, we're a couple that are. Uh, that's expecting so give us like the extra income the extra Mm -hmm. uh, extra goods to start a family and uh, now that they don't have the evidence to apply for this special treatment he's like oh i'm gonna try and like rape you so that you get pregnant and it's only gonna be for like one or two years and then and then you can like do whatever you want and it just made me think about the women who didn't have a noberto like they were like probably like kidnapped and raped solely for the purpose of of like um yeah their rapist getting ahead and it was just like a very like uncomfortable feeling that was a really sexual assault yeah i mean i was kind like you don't expect it because he seems like a good dude but at the same time he's not someone that comes from privilege right he has he's the privilege of being a dude but he's still someone who is under the thumb of the company and under the thumb of debt. And I mean, the part where he attempts to rape her was really uncomfortable to read. 
What did you think about his like turnaround? Did you expect him to come back around and like kind of no, redeem himself? No, I totally did not. I did not expect him to pay off her debt and like get her a, a ticket to Buffalo. That was like totally unpre- <laughs> unprecedented in my opinion. Um, Do you think it's all and- character? I feel like he did seem like a at least a guy who wants to be a good dude. Yeah, because if you think about his backstory, um, when he was like in love with uh his girlfriend marta um like he was pretty happy living in the wilderness and like not caring about you know making money or uh you know being somewhat important in society but you know his you know his girlfriend left him because she couldn't stand like being poor (laughs) and that kind of drove his decision to you know you know make money try to be autonomous be the boss and I think after losing pretty much everything he saved in in like the past decade and him doing something that he thought he would never do, like it makes sense to me that like he would try to redeem himself. I just didn't think that he would redeem himself like to that extent. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but that leads Polly to return to Buffalo in the the new United States, which Again, she's no longer a citizen of because, <laughs> and I think this was something that was really amusing to me was the fact that like the United States government dissolved and reformed as two countries, which I feel like our current government is on the brink of every single day over the last like four years. I know, right? Um, but yeah, like she returns to Buffalo and sees that everything has changed, and she finally finds Frank and his daughter. I guess I I want to say I was not surprised that Frank kind of moved on without her. I mean, I think I feel like the whole entire book was kind of leading up to this moment, right? Where like the sole reason for her to survive and to like get out of indentured servitude, it would turn out to be that nothing was there for her at the end. Yeah, I I kind of figured from from like the photograph that he sneaked into her bra like in the very first chapter when she's going to the time machine because it just felt like because she thinks that he's giving it to her to say like hey like don't forget about me like you know like we're gonna be together again this is a memento but to me it was like a goodbye present (laughs) and i was like oh yeah he's totally not gonna wait like because, you know, this this sounds like an action that someone would do knowing that they're never going to see their loved one again, whether it's through death or through other circumstances. I mean, I feel like it's in character. Like we mentioned, like Frank is someone who cares about like experiencing everything now. And I think Frank was probably thinking either if he dies or he never sees her again, he wants her to remember them as they were. Whereas she was always like, no, we're going to be together again. Why are you doing this? Then she ends up burning that picture, right? Or getting rid of it. I mean, she couldn't have brought it anyway because all paper stuff gets destroyed in in the time travel. Yeah, but she brought her baseball cards. Yeah, but that was like laminated or something. (laughs) Like, like, I I, I don't know. But she she does tear up the photograph. And yeah. You know, she thinks that she doesn't need it and she regrets it later on. Um, But I was surprised by how quickly he moved on. And I think Polly was also very surprised and also horrified. I mean, so was Donna. Donna was like, what the fuck, dude? 
Donna was great. Donna was yeah. probably my favorite character in in this book. She was like, you but, come back yeah. without my niece, and now you have a kid with this other woman. It ain't right. No, it ain't right. The fact that like, like that he met his ex wife at the hospital where he was recovering, and then got married to her. Like what? Two years after Polly disappeared. Like it was. It was very very quick. I don't. I think it was months. Right? Was it? Like he recovered after six months. I mean, they got married because he knocked her up. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, you know, he was saying, like, oh, I needed comfort. I needed someone to, like, you know, I I just needed some somebody to, like, warm my body or whatever. And it's just like that's such a typical excuse. That's like a. That's like. I mean, yeah, that's totally a something an f boy would say. That's something that like every you know you know how like. In, in college, there's always that one person who has, like, a significant other who's, like, still in high school or whatever. And it's just, like... And, and like, <laughs> they tell them... I thought this anecdote was going to go. I thought you were no, talking no, about, like, the, the, the person who was, like, always in a relationship. No, I was talking about, like... So, okay, so, like, maybe I phrased this wrong, but... <laughs> Like, there's always someone in college who has, like, a significant other, whether or not, like, they're in high school or they went to a different college. Okay, that's a little bit better. Mm. Um, and they, there's always one who thinks that they're going to, like, make it despite the distance, whereas, like, everybody right. else around them are just like, We're talking no, about you're the, in college. What, what did you guys call it? Because we called it the turkey drop, like Thanksgiving turkey drop. I, like, I don't know. I was not <laughs> friends with those people. <laughs> <laughs> like which I guess just says something about me. I'm I'm a no nonsense person. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I did have a roommate though who like it was like sophomore year of college. She was engaged, and uh, her fiance was like like you know not in college. She was like older, older. Oh wow. Um, I think he I think he was like 25 or whatever. And like at this time we were we were like 19, <clears throat> 20, and. Like, you know, I would just be like, hey, yeah, like, you know, good for you. And inside, I'm just like, this is not gonna, this is not gonna work. And if it does work, like, I commend the guy. Like, (laughs) this just seems like a a doomed relationship. And that's kind of how I felt about, like, Polly and Frank. I'm like, it's like, oh, sweetie, like, did you really think that this was gonna work out? Yeah, I mean... The root of Polly's relationship with Frank is he's probably her first, like, serious, serious boyfriend, right? I think. She- I mean, it sounded like her first boyfriend was serious, but in a way where he was, like, a total, like, bastard who, yeah. you know, was probably abusive. And she just, you know, like, Frank was, like, the first good guy that she dated. I mean... He got her furniture back for her, right? That was like the catalyst for their relationship. And, you know, I I think I agree with you to a certain extent that if the pandemic hadn't happened, if they had more time together, they may have like worked worked out. Um, And this is just my general thoughts on relationships. Uh, If you don't grow together, you're not going to survive together. (laughs) And a lot of the times, like, you know, long distance wise, like it doesn't work out because, you know, one person doesn't put in as much effort as the other person. Uh, and it happens to couples, you know, who have been living together for a very long time. But, you know, 
they change as a person. You can't expect someone to stay the same after 12, 15 years, which was like a thing that that like Polly <laughs> kind of realizes. Um, you know, for her, it's only been a couple of months since she took this job as took this contract as an indentured servant. But for Frank, it's been it's been like over a decade. And uh, when they do try to like sleep together, she's unable to do it because he is just so different from the Frank that she remembers. Yeah. What did you think about um, future Frank? Oh, future Frank. Um, I will say that future Frank is more along the... If she met Frank now, like if she met the future Frank uh, instead of like her present day Frank, I think future Frank would have been a better choice as a partner. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. He just seems to have like more of a shit together and, you know, is more... I mean, he is 13 years older, right? He is 13 years older. I mean, we forget that when they were dating, at least she was 20, like 23. Like, I want to say he was still in his late 20s, maybe. Like, I know know he was definitely older than her. Yeah, he was definitely older than her. And like, as recent 20-somethings, we both know that 20-somethings are kind of dumb sometimes. I don't know. I think I was pretty smart as a 20-something. But (laughs) you know what? Like, what I, I... I'm an old cynical person. Like I've always been an old cynical person ever since I was like 10 years old. You're an old soul. Really? I'm an old soul. Um, But I think with Frank, he, the future day Frank is definitely less selfish. And he has more regrets, like way more regrets. More, more regrets. I think he appreciates, like he understands sacrifice more than um, present day Frank. But was also kind of a coward, right? He did. Oh, of course, like one hundred percent a coward. Like, who the fuck gets married like two years after? Well, and then your when ex does this thing for you, your ex life changing, life saving thing for you, like yeah. On. And then technically, you never broke up with her, right? So, and then when when the girl comes back to like find you as you both promised, you send your daughter to go shoo her away. That was fucked yeah. Up. That was that was fucked up. Yeah, that was very, um, I mean, it was understandable, but at the same time, my my sympathy for him was just not, <laughs> it was just not there. Um, what did you think about them parting on amicable? I, I'm glad they were able to at least reconcile, even though, like, things were ever going to be the same. I know, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of readers out there who were pissed by the ending, because <laughs> I'm sure they expected, like, more of a resolution. Um, and it just kind of left a lot of questions because it's like, what is Polly going to do now? Like, is she going to have like a career? I mean, she's working at this dilapidated library that's going to be raised to the ground at some point. I was more upset at the fact that I feel like Frank owes her a lot. Yeah, he owes her so and much. it seems like he's trying to weasel out of it, right? Like much like a lot of the people who are from the future in this story, like trying to shirk their responsibilities because they can because Polly is someone who will forgive them because Polly at her core is a maybe still a naive like innocent person even though she's been hardened by by all these experiences I think like she does what she needs to do whereas with Frank 
he is not that kind of person. <laughs> I mean, you see it like in like was it their first date with the squirrel? How like the squirrel got run over and he was like, "Oh, we should end the squirrel's like misery cuz it's going to die. Like it's better to just like kill it now." And she's like, "Okay." But he's unable to do it, so she does it. And he's just like, "Wow, like like I admire you because you're able to like do the things that needs to be done or or like you're fair and it's just like dude like you suggested yeah that like that you do this and you didn't even follow through and same thing with like her like him encouraging her to apply to that like furniture repair program at a college and you know she says like oh like I'm not going to do it but she applies uh and she gets in and then he's like disappointed <laughs> and you know like he makes the effort to drive 6 hours to see her but at the same time he's like complaining about the distance so the entire time i'm just like this guy it was red like, flag after red flag right <laughs> it was red flag after red flag so it did not surprise me that you know he didn't follow through on his promise and that like in the future when they do get reunited he doesn't do nearly enough I to mean- like redeem himself i mean we all have that friend right who like we have no idea why they're with their significant other there are all these glaring red flags that all of us can see but like they obviously can't and we can't figure out why and i feel like polly was that friend for all the readers yeah yeah (laughs) but anyway i was fine with the ending Uh, long story long story short i was fine with the ending i think it fits uh, very well with um, the time travel theme. I don't know if you noticed, but the um, future, the the future chapters where she's like in America, um, it was written in past tense. But mm-hmm. then with the flashbacks with Frank, it was written in present tense. Oh. So um, to me, it was like a very interesting uh, juxtaposition because it's like she's constantly living in this time period where like everything about her relationship was rosy but us as readers were like no it was red flag <laughs> after red flag like this this is not a relationship that's going to work out and finally when she is able to kind of accept the reality of the situation like i think all of the other um thoughts about frank is in past tense from there there was like that one short chapter where it was written in first person um it kind of threw me off because i was like who's talking right now (laughs) for a second i thought it was frank but it was actually polly and um it made me curious as to how different this book would have been if it was written purely from her perspective because mm. i feel like it would have been interesting to get more into her head of like like i'm in love and this is like like this is gonna happen like i feel like it would have been more powerful in terms of like would it be more powerful or more frustrating because like i don't yeah, know if but I that's the thing. it would be more frustrating it would be more frustrating and it would have made the betrayal like it would have made it hurt more mm. but i understand the whole omni potent like narrator <laughs> style because it's you know it's a time travel story in other words I feel like rira yeah. wanted more more hurt she wanted more pain from this book than than it offered um yeah i think yeah <laughs> more more pain would have been good i mean the um, entire book was like coded in like melancholic on we like 
you know, where I mean, and it's something that we kind of can relate to now that we've also been through or still experiencing our own, you know, pandemic given is not as bad as the one in the book yet. Um, but this idea that the world will never be back to how it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nina from our Goodreads forum, uh, she raised some good points. Um, I'm just going to read, read them. Um, Lim manages to not only describe in detail Polly's experience navigating life after time travel, but also makes the reader feel the constant tension of things never going the way we intend, how relentlessly little control Polly has over her life the moment she decides to use it to save Frank, and the realization of things never being the way they once were. Yeah. Uh, the melancholy of knowing things will never be as they were uh is a constant background <laughs> to an ocean of minutes. And I think, yeah, I yeah, agree I 100%. Mean, and again, everything that um, Nina described maps like almost one-on-one with any refugee immigrant experience where you move to a new place and basically you're at the whims of the bureaucracy and the government and institutions of this new place and where they will allow you to live and work. And and no one tells you the rules either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um I okay, like this is this is my last point because we are um almost a- out of time. But what did you think about the difference between how America handled the pandemic in this book versus how like Singapore and I, like Sri Lanka and Taiwan dealt with I it? I did love that juxtaposition that 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 part made me like <laughs> it was it made me chuckle but also made me go oh because it like again, these kind of pandemic what books in real life. Yeah, have a I mean, sci-fi authors, their job is to, you know, is to predict what the future would be given the current situation. And it's really depressing how most of these pandemic stories, like most stories about pandemics, is about the current government or institution's inability to handle one. Like, right. Um, and I mean, Singapore, like the, the little anecdote about Singapore being able to survive the pandemic because it was able to a close off its borders and b maintain trade relations with, and like actually like kind of, um, 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 a, because it closes borders and, and secondly, because they were able to share their resources with their neighboring countries in order to maintain trade and a sustainable ecosystem is it was it made a lot of sense because um in these times like if if the world had cooperated with each other covid probably wouldn't have been as bad as it is right now but because i mean i don't think it's going out on a limb to say that a lot of our problems currently in this country about covid vaccinations and the spread of the you know the delta variant right now a lot of it has to do with America's identity as like a nation of free peoples, which some people take to mean, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, like with, with a lot of like Asian countries, like the, the reason why uh, COVID got there in the first place is because of like tourism. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, people who did not care about 
other people's safety and health. Uh, they decided that they needed to go on vacation. And that's that they were like patient zero for that country. And um, just like the thought of how a lot of other countries have dealt with COVID much better because, you know, they were more prepared. They have a better infrastructure for like healthcare. And they're not getting the vaccines because America is hoarding like most of the resources. And it's just yeah. so indicative of like how <laughs> America functions as a country and how, you know, like we thought that the pandemic would be over by now, or at least like with vaccination, we're like, okay, we have like this percentage of people vaccinated. It should be safe enough to like go out and, you know, wear a mask occasionally, but not all the time. But now there's the Delta variant, and we are pretty much at the same point as where we were last year yeah. around this time, which is like so frustrating because this would not have happened if people just wore their masks and gotten vaccinated. Well, and now we're being asked to be careful for the sake of people who aren't being responsible, right? I'm just like, I'm just so <laughs> mad. Like, I know someone who was vaccinated and they got the Delta variant. And it's just, it's so infuriating that they got covid after they got vaccinated because someone who wasn't vaccinated spread covid around and it was it's just like like it makes like i like i should care about other people and be empathetic but it is very very hard when people do not give a shit about other people's like lives yeah i mean we're we're lucky that COVID isn't whatever this virus was in the notion of minutes, right? Or there's we'd be totally screwed. Like right now, we just no there's no time travel to save us. My question to you, Marvin, is would you do the time travel option? I mean, I feel like we all kind of time traveled, right? Because what is 2020? Does anyone even remember 2020? 2021 is almost gone. Oh, shit, you're right. Whew. I don't know. I feel like I would read the contract first. I mean, I already said that I would probably not go through with it. Like, <laughs> no way. I feel like as someone who is at least currently insured, I would probably, like, I would think about it. Like, if if I had no other choice, maybe. But um, I don't know. It's hard to say what you'll do until you're you're met with that decision. Right. It's true. It's true. Uh, one one last point. I don't know if you like. You can edit this. Like this is like your third last point. Yeah, yeah. You can edit like whatever. Um, like when Polly goes back to Buffalo and she realizes that it's not the city that you know she left it. It just kind of reminded me of like how a lot of immigrants, including children of immigrants, they go back to their motherland and they're like, "This is not." like how it was when yeah when i left and i've like i've mentioned this in other uh episodes but like whenever i go back to seoul it's like it's just like it's been five years and everything is like all the roads have changed and there's like all these buildings <laughs> that like did not exist before i mean that's the thing with immigration right like when you leave a country when you leave a place that you lived in or is you're connected to that place stays the same in your mind until you go back. Whereas that's not the way the world works. Life goes on without you. And yeah, that totally is what um, her homecoming to Buffalo was like. Because not only did she come back, and much like the refugee experience, not only did she come back to her town that's totally changed, 
she went back to her, her the same hometown but a different country now yeah you know? yeah yeah nicely well, done think, thea lim yeah nice <laughs> nicely done um i i'm sorry for the people who who read this and were just like i wanted a good fun time but <laughs> sorry i mean um, it was never going to be a good fun time it, it is no, a, we pandemic read a pandemic dystopia book, book. yeah um, we read a pandemic book during a pandemic i think so yeah really. i mean I, I read some reviews of people about people uh, accusing it of being a bait and switch whereas like it was sold to them as a time travel book but it was really about this refugee experience but i thought it was a really good refugee experience book with the trappings of time travel and like okay here's the thing i have never read or seen a time travel story that wasn't about something else (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true i mean sorry thea didn't um i mean thea didn't go into the intricacies of time travel but you know again that's proprietary knowledge of the time razor corporation that lon Pauly did not have access to as a um laborer so i don't know if you've seen (laughs) the movie looper but they kind of like do the same thing where they're just like explain the mechanics of time travel to me and they're like time travel is fucked up we're we're gonna just be sitting here complaining and debating for hours on how time travel works no we're not gonna do that and it's like yes um you just need to know that it exists and it works yeah you just need to know that it exists and your audience has to just believe it for for a moment yeah so really all right um well let us know what you thought about an Ocean of Minutes by Tia Lim uh, by sounding off in our Goodreads forums, um, engaging with us on Twitter, and just, um, I don't know, messaging us wherever on Instagram. Um, and yeah, did like- you agree with us? <laughs> Would you, <laughs> are you a, are you a poly Frank shipper? Um, would you do this time travel uh, contract? Please let us know in the comments. Yeah. And with that, um, that'll do it for our discussion of our July 2021 book club pick. Um, once again, Rhea, thanks for joining me in this time travel journey of this, you know, fictional United States. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love talking about uh how capitalism sucks with you, Marvin, every single time. <laughs> I mean, it's not our fault. That is the theme of like many of the books that we've read and a lot of fiction that's out there right now. True, true. <laughs> Although this book came out in twenty eighteen. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Um, all right. So on that note, um, what are we reading for the month of August? We are reading Randy Ribbe's Patron Saints of Nothing. So it is a young adult contemporary novel about a Filipino-American teen who flies to the Philippines to discover the truth about his cousin's murder. And the cousin's murder is apparently related to President Duarte's war on drugs. So also a fun time novel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing that with you at the end of the month. But with that, that brings us to the end of this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you once again for joining us for another great month. We are coming up on our fifth anniversary. Yeah, fifth anniversary. Wow. We should probably do something. We should probably do something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's spend August brainstorming of something to do. Yeah, probably. <laughs> May, maybe we should actually meet in person. Oh. Like, I, I've seen you like once and that was like for like maybe two minutes that's true i think i was dropping off some food for you yeah you were dropping off something (laughs) all right well thanks for joining us on books and boba and we'll see you next time all right bye bye everyone thanks for listening to books and boba this podcast was hosted by marvin yue and me and edited and produced by marvin yue 
follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 